coming in. Keep it locked right here. You are listening to MTMB Sports. Everybody, everybody, good evening. It is your boy, the professor, coming at you live, MVP University. Um, my partners in crime, uh, MVP JT, the uh, provost, if you will, of the university, um, and, and, our, and our resident athletic director, Connie Bestside from the West Side, are unable to join us this evening, but we are going to persevere Nonetheless, we got big news tonight. But let's start with something that's kind of been brewing a little taste these last uh, few days going down to Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, we, we touched on it a little bit last week, JT and I, um, about Ed Reed. Now, there is um, there, there's some side that's talking about what he said. And that it was the truth, and and we should we should have this big grand conversation about the state of historically black colleges and universities. I want to make something very very clear as as I enter this conversation on a tightrope. I did not attend an HBCU. Um, I was admitted to three of them, but chose not to go. I stayed close to home. Uh, and I, I'm a graduate of Wabash College, which, as I've jokingly said, is the white version of Morehouse. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to speak about this topic as if I know the experience of the HBCU student or athlete. But this is what I will say: It doesn't really matter what level you play. It does. It does. It doesn't matter where you whether you're Power Five, Group of Five, you know FCS, which is Division One AA, NAIA, Junior College, Division Two, II, Division Three. You make a decision as a university as to whether or not you are going to um, let football be the driver to your universities. That was that was a study done years ago that many many students who go to the to universities. They like the fact that they go to a school that is very good at football. Um, you you go back even even you know to maybe the mid nineties. Basically, the the heads of, of the five families, aka university presidents of the SEC, made this decision. They're going to be good at football because they realize that if they're good at football, football money can improve the universities and life on these universities. So entering into these contracts, improving these stadiums, paying you, the SEC was the first. Uh, conference to pay a coach a million dollar contract and Steve Spurrier, all that good stuff happened and, and, and they're good at football and that makes the football coach the face of the program. I just can't see how you can have the face of your university and Ed Reed is the head football coach at Bethune University he is now the face of that university. I don't see how you can have the face of your university 
speak about your university in that manner and have him continue to be the face of the university. But he had mentioned that his contract had not yet been approved, um, but he he was here working. He's talking about how he did more in a week that, than a lot of people down here had done. You, I mean, you, you're, you're throwing shade on everybody at this university, your athletic director, and as Bob Stoops, when he was coaching in Oklahoma, about the power of a great relationship and a long-term relationship with the AD. Okay, you throw your university presidents under the bus, everyone involved in this university, and bro, you just got there. You just got there. Do you really know? The issue here, and I think this is everybody's miss, the issue here isn't what he said and whether or not what he said was factual, false, conjecture, uh, or absolute. The problem here is very, very simple. The problem is his representative of that university, and we don't need the grown people who's res- representing university acting like the students who's representing university. Every simply cannot go on social media and run down the university that wants to employ him and expect to stay employed. Now, I'm going to do a bit of bad podcasting here because I know there have been some news um, out of out of Bethune Cookman since he since he made those comments, um, I firmly believe, despite the apology that he made, I'm just gonna be honest. God rest my daddy's soul. If my if my daddy would have saw Ari, my daddy's still like, man, you too old for that. You too old for that. you got to know better. And you can't have that in my opinion Ed Reed and here's the thing his contract has not yet been approved by the board I don't think his contract should be approved they they need someone who know who's going to know how to handle those situations and you handle that situation. His office wasn't clean. Okay. There, 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 there are holes in the athletic program. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's trash and things all, all over the facilities. Okay. You go to number one. When you interview, and this for this for all the young folks out here trying to make it in this world, when you interview. The employer is not just interviewing you. Look, if you think you're good enough, you are also interviewing that employer. So Ed Reed had to have known what what he's getting into. He is at a small private university in Florida. Okay. He should know the commitment the university is going to make to the football program if they want to be good at football. He needs to know what what financial investments he's going to have to help fundraise for to improve the facilities at the university because football coaches in t- in today's sport you got to be able to do three things you got to be able to coach you got to be able to recruit and that includes navigating that name image and likeness and the transfer portal um you got to be able to hire staff and you also have to be able to raise money so 
Ed Reed came off as someone who was overwhelmed and wasn't completely sure about what he's getting into. But let, let me let me say this, and I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna lay it out there. there there's this concept of of, of um, white saviorism that we talk about very very often. We we don't need the celebrity coach trying to trying to 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 do black saviorism to these HBCUs. Okay, every university has its faults. It's run by people, so it's by default imperfect. Now, there are some deeper conversations that this show is not built for uh, to take, but I just do not think that Ed Reed's contract should be approved by the board. They need to go find a guy who's going to come and coach football and develop young men because in a place like Bethune-Cookman, you're not sending a half dozen guys to the league every year. You're giving you're giving young men an opportunity at a free education through football, and that is how how that should be handled. That's um, see, see, see. I, that is true, and that's not that's not that's not the basis of my comments. It's not what he said; it's how he handled it. You go, you go to, you go to your AD in private about that and get that taken care of. You don't put that on blast in, in, in front of social media. That, that's not how you handle that. Once again, that's not that's not the point. The point is not what he said and and and, and whether or not it was factual. The, the truth is, is how he handled the situation. Um, let, let's stay in the in the state of Florida. Um, if, if if unless somebody else has any comments on the Ed Reed situation and the HBCU football situation. Let me say one last thing about HBCU football. In two generations, what historically black colleges and universities have meant to the game of football has evolved and changed. There was a time where, where, you know, my people could not play at Alabama, at Auburn, at Texas, um, you know, at Virginia, and unless you went north to places like, you know, Minnesota and Michigan State in the 50s and Michigan or out west UCLA, not many people know Jackie Robinson was on a very good Rose Bowl winning UCLA team or out west to USC. If you stay at home, you stayed south, you went to HBCU because that's the only place you could play. And that's why that's why Grambling has the number of Hall of Famers that it has. That's changed since predominantly white universities have has decided to assimilate black players into their universities. And yes, I said assimilate, not integrate. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have an episode in February where I really talk about that. Former president of the SWAT um, really said something profound about that. But we're gonna leave that for Black History Month. Um, but now it is about giving young men an opportunity and i wish i could remember young man's name uh he, he's a wide receiver from florida AM. he was uh interviewed um during the swag media day before the season and he had mentioned he graduated from high school then getting office he started working at amazon and coach simmons saw his tape and gave him an opportunity to come to florida AM and play ball that's what hbcu football is about primarily and we look at and we have to look at hbcu football not through this kind of monolithic lens of just the swag or just the MEAC. You have to understand HBCU football goes from just goes from division one AA all the way down to division three. 
And some of these schools are giving young men an opportunity to earn college degrees and go to school for little to no money to by playing football. That's what HBCU football is. It is about it is more about educating young men than big time college football is. And we need to realize that. Um, so let's stay in the state of Florida. And let's talk about the 12th ranked. Um, I'll see what he did there. Let, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about let's talk about former Miami commit and maybe former Florida commit. Jaden Rashada. Um, so his his father um was interviewed um by uh, a, a writer for 24-7 Sports. The prevailing rumor last week was that Jaden Rashada wanted out of his national letter of intent um, from, from Florida. He had not yet enrolled in class. He is in a student directory, so he is admitted to the school, but he is not going to class. And his dad said, no, th- th- that's not what happened. He, he um, is still enrolled at, at the University of Florida. He wants to be at the University of Florida. It seems as if you if you read the tea leaves that there are some um, instead of N L I National Letter of Intent, there's N I L name, image, and likeness things that need to be worked out between the university and Jaden Rashada. Now, there are going to be some who are going to decry this by saying, "Hey, look, um, everybody, look, this is why you don't want to do um, name, image, and likeness because you get stuff like this." Rashad is just being greedy. Uh, Rashad is just um, just trying to get more money out of Florida, um, and I, I don't I don't think that's the case. What what I think is, and, and to be completely honest, nobody really knows. Number one, because name, image, and likeness money is not made public, and neither should it be, because when you look at professional sports, the contract between the player and the team is made public. The money by, from endorsements is only made public uh, voluntarily by either the athlete or an agreement between the athlete and the company that they are endorsing. But not all endorsement money is made public, and it does not have to be. Now, if universities want the money that players are making to be made public, then universities need to pay the players which is a different conversation. What does this all mean? I do think there's an element of it that means these young men really need good people in their corner to help them make good decisions. I think that's number one. Um, We could assume or infer that Rashada flipped from Miami to Florida because name, image, and likeness money that's not completely out of the realm of possibility, and which is fine. I'll, I'll say this once very, very, very simple thing um, about name, image, and likeness um, and, and, and kids flipping the schools for more money. Though football is an assumed risk, you know you know what you're getting into when you play football. Um, and you think of that, that, that young man for, for the Buffalo Bills, uh, DeMar Hamlin, who 
and to be resuscitated on the field. There's no other sport that we play where you are literally one impact hit away, and then that's it. So yeah, and and, and I've I've made this argument um, since name, image, and likeness came down the pike. Here's the truth. You tell me another sport or another industry where the drivers of the income don't get a piece of the income. I, I get it. They're college students. They get scholarships. There's a whole bunch of that as well. But I think with Rashada, it seems like they're trying to work out the kinks of this name, image, and likeness deal. Um, the number that had been floated around was $13 million for Rashada. I don't think that's true. Um, maybe somebody forgot the decimal and maybe it's 1.3, which I would argue the inducements for top recruits to come to these schools is probably between one and $2 million a year. Um, so I could see that. Um, I think the big question for both uh, the university and um, for Rashada, well, more so for the university is, what does the university do if Rashada decides that he wants out of his name, image, and likeness deal um, because he's not getting what he was promised? And listen, you can say whatever you want. Somebody promises you a certain thing and you sign it and you don't get it, that's going to make a lot of people mad. And I know we're talking about collegiate athletics, but it is what it is. So Anthony Richardson um, has decided that he is going to uh, test the waters of the NFL. And for better or for worse, he's out of Gainesville. So what does this do long-term for the Gators if Rashada doesn't sign um, or, or if he gets out of his name, image, and likeness, name, image, and likeness, his national letter of intent, what if he gets out of the, uh, out of the, the, the national letter of intent and he's free to go wherever he chooses? That's a really good question. Um, because that's going to put the, the Gators in a bit of a pinch. Now, they do have two interesting prospects on their roster. They got redshirt freshman Max Brown, but they also have um, Ohio State transfer Jack Miller III. The Miller was a high-end prospect coming out of Ohio State, but I don't know if he was the prospect that Rashada is. Now, one thing about Rashada, and I, I'll shout out Bud Elliott for, for these factoids about Rashada, who's the recruiting uh, um, director for 24-7 Sports, who, who is also a co-host on the Cover 3 podcast. Rashada's a little older. He is legit. Um, but Rashada is kind of a what you see is what you get prospect. Uh, on, on the other hand, Jack Miller still needs a little work but the ceiling might be a little higher and he's a bit on the younger end, despite being a redshirt sophomore. 
So the big thing is, and, and the second one we'll talk about in more detail, um, well, it, as you can see the, 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 the ticker at the bottom, the big thing is if, if Rashada decides to leave and he, he goes, I don't know, he goes out of the state of Florida. He goes, um, I don't know, let's, let's just pick a school. He goes to Ole Miss. Then now you're in a situation where you've lost another quarterback. Now, this is what's interesting about Rashada. He's not from Florida. He's from California. So he could decide that he's going to go play in the Pac-12 and can go back. I, I, I don't he, – he won't be at USC. They're set. And he probably won't be at UCLA. They're set as well. But there are some other schools in the Pac-12, good schools in the Pac-12, that could use um, quarterback. So um, Kenny Dillingham out of Arizona State could use a quarterback. Jed Fish out of Arizona could use a quarterback. He could decide to go west of the Mississippi and go back home. Uh, the one thing I would say definitely that that would hurt um, is very, very simply um, the fact that all three schools in Florida, they're kind of limping a little bit in recruiting. And so, and I, and I thought about this, we know what Napier can do as a recruiter, but what's kind of happening is, especially if Rashada doesn't sign, we've kind of seen a couple guys leave Florida, seen a couple guys leave Miami. Ironically enough, Jaden Rashada is one of those guys who left Miami. And Florida State just Florida State has done a wonderful job in the portal, first with Jermaine Johnson, getting him from Georgia, and now Jared Verse from from uh, um, from Albany State and um, Johnny Wilson from Arizona State and, and, and Michael Pittman from Oregon, those guys. But Florida State has no juice in recruiting. And what's happening is we're still seeing Georgia. We're still seeing Alabama. We're still seeing Ohio State be able to go into the state of Florida and get the top players out of the state of Florida. And apparently they're not the only two schools that are the, the only schools that are going to say Florida again, top guys. Apparently, uh, Colorado is also able to go um, to the state of Florida and get players. Um, because when we come back after a short break, we're going to talk about Coach Prime doing it again. He's flipped another one. More after the break. Out of adversity and trauma, challenges and hardship, from the streets of Kansas City, a shoe company was born. 
birthed from the desire to serve others and provide high quality cleats and sneakers at an affordable price, we present to you, Ozell Brand. It's not just a brand, it's a lifestyle. Order now at OzellBrand.com. So I just need to know, man, if Ozell make double E's, your, your boy got wide flat feet. Um, so if y'all make, you know, 14 double E's, man, listen, I'm in like fleeing because that nightlife blue is nice. Uh, you know, those those white and gold, those black and gold cleats. Uh when I when I played when I played uh baseball in high school, you know, my, my high school colors were black and gold, those would have been real nice. Uh, to, to go on my journey. So shout out to Ozell Brand, man. Thank you uh, for supporting what we're doing at MTNV Sports. Listen, do me a favor. If you're a first-time listener, man, go to our YouTube page, subscribe to the network. We've got everything you want. You like basketball? Listen to the full 94. You like football? Listen to the V Report. You like women's hoops? Uh, check out uh, Sports Talk with C. Uh, you like your Kansas City Chiefs fan? Check out the Red and the Bowl. You like combat sports? Check out our combat sports podcast. We got whatever it is that you enjoy uh, sports-wise. Man, check us out. We've got a great group of interviewers. We chop it up very, very well. Um, sometimes they call you man the professor. Um, shout out to C. Michael, who gave me the nickname the human almanac. I may have to drop a fact toward or two. Um, I, you know, I, I had to let, I had to let, uh, uh, Ms. V know on the V report, you know, Will Chamberlain act also played across at Kansas. Not many people know that. And he was also a Harlem Globetrotter. So, but that's what we do. Um, we love sports and this is definitely a labor of love. And we, I thank you. This is my, this is my first go round with, uh, MTNV. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for all y'all who tune in with us live or catch the replays. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Continue support. Tell a friend. If you tell a friend, that helps more people find us and that helps us find more people. So let's talk about it. Y'all, let's talk about it. Primetime. Neon Dion. Coach Prime has done it once again. He has flipped a top recruit to where he's coaching. Of course, the big one was when Travis Hunter got flipped from Florida State to Jackson State. And that was a big deal because Travis Hunter, this was Florida State was supposed to be his school from his childhood. It's where he always wanted to go. His, his family were huge fans of the university. And he flipped to Jackson State, and that was huge. I had a feeling when Cormani McClain did not sign during the early signing period, he was a hard commit to Miami, when he didn't sign, and then it came out that he was talking to Coach Prime, I said, hey, Super Mario, Cristobal, you're in trouble. You may lose him to Prime. And he lost to the prime. He lost to the prime. So what is so so let's let's kind of let first of all let, let's kind of talk about um Mr. McClain 
and kind of who he is um, as far as a recruit, as far as um, a football player. So he is the number three recruit out of the state of Florida. So number one, just 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 for just for your information, uh, Keon Keely, an edge rusher, is the number one recruit from the state of Florida, uh, eight national recruit, five star. Francis Mayugla from IMG is number two. He's an offensive tackle, and Cormani's third. Now, once again, as I kind of said earlier, talking about talking about Rashada, although Rashada's from California, when you look at the state, and I'm 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 looking at the top ten recruits from the state of Florida and I'm looking at these top 10 recruits and the and, and only two of them are staying in state. Okay. Uh Maoyoga from uh, IMG and if I'm not mistaken he's going to IMG which is why they count him um as a recruit from Florida but I don't think he's from Florida. And then also um, the number seven recruit, Hakeem Williams, a, a, a wide receiver uh, out of Fort Lauderdale, is going to Florida State. Other than that, so two out of ten, that's not going to get it done. And neither of the recruits, one's going to Miami, one's going to Florida State. You got to go pretty far down the list. You got to go to the 22nd recruit in the state to find a guy who's going to the University of Florida. So so, so, uh, Mr. So we, we're talking, we're talking Florida, we're talking Florida State, we're talking Miami, Cristobal, Norvell, Napier. Y'all need to put a fence around the state. So let's talk about Cormani. So Cormani McLean, uh, 12th, 12th ranked player nationally, number one defensive back in the country. Uh, third recruit, five star, six two, one sixty five. Let me just switch over um, to uh, his 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 re- recruiting. Uh, he is likened to uh, Tariq Woolen, who's a DB from for the Seahawks. Um, he's an interesting player because he 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 really plays. In the, in the fashion of, of the new defensive back. Um, he's a little raw, kind of watching a little bit of his highlight tape. You can tell the one big transition that McLean's going to have to make coming from high school to college is very often he was the best athlete on the field. And a, a lot of receivers that he defended in games, and I know they do seven on sevens and they do these elite camps and all that stuff, but in football, even more so than any other sport, man, game film still matters. And he was obviously the best player on the field very often. The transition he's going to have to make, especially going to the Pac-12, where, man, the Pac-12 is turning into the, the conference of quarterbacks next season. That's another thing we're going to have to talk about in a future episode. But when you look at what's going, what what he's going to have to do, he's going to have to make the transition to not being the fast, the the the, the best player on the field. He's going to have to really rely on technique. 
I mean, who better to teach technique than the greatest defensive back of all time than Deion Sanders? Um, but he is able to mirror and match guys. He can go step for step with pretty much anybody. He's got great speed. He's long. I mean, there was a time when you were 6'2", they automatically moved you to safety. They don't do that anymore. He can run with guys without always putting his hands on them. He does a very good job. And this is what makes McLean a potential star at defensive back. He has a great ability, even as someone coming out of high school, to be able to turn and find the ball without getting pass interference penalties. And with as often as people throw the football, that is a great, great um, asset to have. So, yeah, so he flipped. So he flipped them. So what does that mean? Let's start with what does that mean from Col- for Colorado. They have the core of a very good young secondary. When you have Travis Hunter on one side and Cormani McLean on the other, that uh, that is Coach Prime s- beginning to stack classes. It's going to be interesting. It, it's it's, it's kind of hard to really judge um, Coach Prime and Colorado's class this year because he just got there. You really do kind of give um, you want to give coaches grace for that initial class. And if you if you look at Colorado's class right now, their class is not very high. But one thing Prime's done well, and I would call this the Clemson formula, and this is what Dabo Sweeney did early on at Clemson, he's really targeting big-time players to kind of go around maybe some developmental guys or as interest in the program grows, he'll be able to get better recruits. So getting a guy like Cormani McLean out to Colorado. So currently the Buffaloes are fifth in the Pac-12 and 19th overall. I got to be on their composite rank is 29th. That ain't half bad considering when Prime got there. I mean, they've got some really, really good players. Uh, Dylan Edwards, they got him out of Kansas. He He's a four-star and, and, a, and a mid-level four-star uh, running back out of Kansas. Um, Omarion Miller is a, is, is a decent wide receiver. Um, got him out of Louisiana. The one thing that he does know is that he's going to have to go around to find guys. Um, did a good job, I think, in the transfer portal. Um, ended up getting one of the best names in college football, uh, Kentucky running back, Cavassier Smoke. Um, so they're going to want to run the football to help protect Shadur as he makes that transition from FCS to FBS football. Listen, let's do let's do one thing um, before we close. Well, we're going to do two things before we close out tonight. I want to take a look with my trusty handheld computer here. I want to take a look at um, I want to take a look at Colorado's schedule. Um, and I want to see, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what the over-under is, um, on, on Colorado and their schedule. I'll tell you this, um, I would take the over. Now, the first part of their schedule is tough. Now, if, I, if, I, if I'm Coach Prime, I'm going to talk to the AD. I'm going to say, listen, we're, we're building a program. We won a game. 
last season, 2024. Can we kind of can we get a, a directional school on a non-con? Can we get a Northern Colorado or a Western Colorado? I don't need. Can we can we get um, Colorado School of Mines? We're gonna need a little cup. We're gonna need a couple cupcakes on the schedule because we can get three in the non-con and we get three in the conference schedule. We can get to a bowl game and we need to stack up some bowl games so recruits can get interest because that still matters. Um, so they got they open at TCU. Then they get two straight home games with Nebraska and Colorado State. Then they go to Oregon. They get then they host USC. They go to Arizona State. They host Stanford. Got a buy. Then they go to LA again to play the Bruins. Uh, then they they host the Beavers. They host the Wildcats. And then they end the season on the road in the Palouse um, at Washington State. And then they end at Rice Eccles at Utah. I'm telling you, that first game's interesting. No, 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 no Hacksaw McDuggan for the Frogs, no Kendra Miller, no Quentin Johnson. Depending on how long it takes the Buffaloes to jail, they can win that first game. And I'm not just saying that. The Horn Frogs lose a ton from the team you saw make it to the national championship game. I think hosting Nebraska, they got a shot to beat Nebraska too. Um, we'll give them the win against Colorado State. Let's give them one and two coming out of the non-con. They're not going to beat Oregon. They're not going to beat USC. They got a shot to beat Arizona State. Um, they, they are still rebuilding their roster and, and not doing it at the clip that Colorado is. So we'll give them Arizona State. We're going to give them Stanford. Stanford's going to be terrible next year, y'all. Um, man, it, feel bad. Got a soft spot for for intellectual brutality, so I I think they lose to Stanford. So right now I got them with three wins. Then they get a bye. I, they'll they'll lose to UCLA. They'll lose to Oregon State. High take right now. I think Oregon State's going to be a player for the Pac-12 championship. Um, they lose to Arizona. Man, they're going to lose. So I'm looking at this. They'll probably lose their last four. I know people think Colorado's going to a ball game. I think I got Colorado at three wins, which triples their win total from last year. That's improvement. They're not going to get blown out. But listen, here's the thing. Be excited for a three-win Colorado team for a simple reason. This team, Coach Prime is trying to flip that whole roster. Kermani McClain's going to play as a true freshman. Travis Hunter's going to play as a true sophomore. There's going to be a lot of young players playing, and they're not very deep yet. So you're going to give you got to give them some time. It's it's going to be close. I think everything's going to hinge on how good TCU is, how good Nebraska is. If they can find a way to go three zero in the non-con, I think there's going to be some buzz, and maybe I they're better than Stanford. And they're as good as Arizona State. If they can find a third win, then they go bowling. But I don't know if I don't know how they'll handle those first two in the non-con. So, uh, so before we close, um, Coach Prime flipping Cormani, big deal. That is one of the storylines to keep track of as we go into this next season. 
So a couple a couple big things are happening at the end of next season. So this is the last year. The 23-24 season will be the last year of the 14 playoff. Starting in 2024, we are expanding the 12 teams. Um, I had no issue with the 14 playoff. I like the concept of the playoff being very, very difficult to get into. I do think college football never capitalized on what like that four week period from like the third week in October to the second week in November is it really, those really are elimination games. Like when, when, when you, when you talk about, you go look at the PAC 12 this year and how UCLA, Oregon, USC, Utah were all had a shot at they had a legitimate road to the playoff. And unfortunately, the only one that came out unscathed was USC until the conference championship game. Illinois had a legit path to the playoff, um, but then they lost to Michigan. Um, you know, so so kind of that month is kind of like eliminate. These are like the bracket busters for college football, and they were never marketed as such. And I think they should have at least attempted that once. And that would have, I think, in my opinion, would have definitely made for good television. But I understand why they're going to 12 teams. You're going to keep more conferences engaged for longer. And, you know, I, I know that there are some conferences where the conference games were kind of suffering as far as attendance and television numbers, so I get it. Um, USC and UCLA, they're last year in the Pac-12. The Big 12 will have coast-to-coast representation. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with their schedules. Texas and Oklahoma will be leaving the Big 12 at the end of this season. Uh, we get, listen, we're going to get a fun, one of the another one of the storylines to track. We're going to have a Big 12 mega conference because BYU, Houston, Cincinnati are coming to the Big 12. Oh, I'm sorry, and, and UCF, they're coming to the Big 12 this season. They start conference play in August. So now we're going to have a 14-team mega conference. It's going to be fun and watch Oklahoma or Texas do the biggest Oklahoma or Texas thing ever and win the Big 12 and then leave and then bounce. Um, but let me let me just run down a couple of storylines that I'm, I'm keeping my eye on going in, out of um, early recruiting now that we're almost done with this phase of the portal. And, it's, man, two months spring practice is going to start kind of going into there. First of all, I want to talk about Alabama. There is this default idea that the Crimson Tide are going to automatically be back because Papa Nick is upset that they were not in the playoff and they took it out on Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, and now they're gonna, they're, they are going to come back like a house of fire. Let me say this, not so fast, my friend. I have some serious doubts about the Crimson Tide. I do. Who's playing quarterback? Are they going into with with Justin Milrow? If you go with Milrow, can you really go with Bill O'Brien as your offensive coordinator? Pete Golding out as defensive coordinator of Alabama. Who do they hire? Is Dallas Turner um, gun, going to really take the Will Anderson spot? Or was he the beneficiary of playing across from Will Anderson? Who's the sh- who's the Patrick Sertan uh, shutdown corner that they so severely lacked last year? 
who's the great defensive back? Who's the Patrick Sertan, Minka Fitzpatrick? They always have a great DB, whether he's a corner or a safety. Where's, where's that guy? Who's going to be the big anchor in the middle of the defensive line in that kind of hybrid but yet three-man front base? Who's the receiver that steps up and steps in for the Crimson Tide next year that will be receiving passes from whomever we're not really sure? The offensive line has struggled against good teams the last two seasons. Is the offensive line going to finally learn how to block this year? This was about as poorly coached a team as I've ever seen a Nick Saban team be coached. They were penalized, I want to say, three times as many uh, as they were the last year they won a national championship. This team did not play disciplined football. How was Nick Saban going to change those things going into next season? It's going to have to be just a little bit more than we didn't make the college football playoff. This team did not play well in true road games. Look at the two games that they lost. This team, defensively, it was sack the quarterback or bust. If quarterbacks had time to throw, they cooked Alabama secondary. There are a lot of questions in Tuscaloosa. Now, I'll say this, and we didn't really see it in real time, but kind of looking back on them, when we go back to the end of Bobby Bowden's great run at Florida State, the one thing that really ended that run was the fact that he kept losing assistance and the guys that he would hire didn't pan out like the former guys. When Mark Rick and Chuck Amato and those guys started leaving, the guys that, that, that replaced them were not as good. And we're kind of seeing Kirby over there in Athens. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt was really good. Lane Kiffin down, down in Ole Miss. Now the guys that he are he is replacing those assistants with, they haven't really worked out as well. So I think that's a, that's a very, very good storyline to watch. Let me go back to the Pac-12 uh, for my third. Yes, Prime and can they get to a bowl game in year one is one. Alabama, will they rebound is two. Can the Oregon, my Oregon State Beavers, which I told Conrad Hilton, yes, I put your whole government out there, Mr. Westside is the best side. I told you about the Beavers. They won 10 games. They got a quarterback this year. DJ Uyangale transferring from Clemson. Can the Beavers legitimately have an opportunity to win the Pac-12? And I'm going to tell you this before you give me Caleb Williams and USC. That defense wasn't very good last year. I don't know how good it's going to be this year. You know who played pretty doggone good defense in the Pac-12 last season? Oregon State. Watch out for the Beavers. They they. They're going to try to win 10 games twice, and I'm going to need somebody to try to get Jonathan Smith up out of Corvallis. So that's my third storyline. My fourth storyline is can the Bulldogs three-peat? On paper, yes. When you have about when you have 15, 16 guys on both sides of the ball who are main contributors that were, that were underclassmen, and pretty much all those guys are coming back, man, I got to tell you, they definitely have a shot. Let me give you kind of like a 4A with Georgia. Man, does Stetson Bennett make some money in that national championship game? Because he balled out against TCU. Had a great second half, specifically fourth quarter against Ohio State. Did Stetson Bennett find his way to like the top 150 NFL draft picks? Trust me, that's a huge, huge difference in money. Let me say this. It only takes one team to fall in love with you. That's number one. Number two, 
Stetson's going to test well. He's going to run well. I guarantee he's going to run under 4-7. Wouldn't shock me if he ran a 4-5. Probably run more like a 4-6, but if he ran a 4-5, wouldn't shock me. If he throws at the combine, which if I were him, I would not. But if he does, I think he's going to throw better than people think. When he gets in front of those coaches and they interview him, they put him on the board, he is going to interview extraordinarily well. Don't be surprised if you see Stetson Bennett go somewhere in the fourth round of the draft, for better or for worse. Um, is the ACC going to get shut out of the college football playoff again? Can, is, is, and, and really that question is more, is Clay, is, is Kay Klubnick the real deal? I think a lot of people made a bigger deal about what he did against North Carolina in the conference championship game than they should be because as we've seen, uh, North Carolina's defense has been a magic elixir for bad offenses all season. Um, my last one is next year's Heisman Trophy winner gonna kind of kind gonna kind of come out of nowhere along those lines. Who has the potential to be next season's Tulane or TCU? Tulane went from two wins to the Cotton Bowl. And TCU went from five and seven to the national championship game. Who has the potential to be that team? I'm gonna give you a five C along those lines. Drew Aller supposed to be the real deal out there at Penn State. Is Penn State gonna finally rise up and slay one of them two dragons in the Big Ten East? Can James Franklin finally break through with the big time quarterback? Or is he going to do what he always do, and that's lose to Michigan and Ohio State, finish during the Big Tennies, and go to a New Year's Bowl and be halfway decent? So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. And just in case you're not joining me live, please catch the replay. Subscribe to the network. Share the link with your friends. Once again, we want to find more fans, and we want more fans to find us. God bless you. Keep you. Have a smile upon you. Give you peace. It's the professor. I got to go back to the lab. Man, I got midterms to write. I got lectures to write. I got Prezi and PowerPoint and uh, flip charts to make. Back in the lab. Check me out on mtnvpn.com, our blog site. Also find my work on saturdaybliss.com. Until next time, prayers up for JT. Prayers up for Connie. Hope everything works out and we will see you next week. Sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTNV Sports.